Greetings. This is Bible Time with Jane, and I am Jane, your host. We're continuing our series in the book of Acts, and today we will take a look at Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 15. In our last teaching, we learned about the meeting of the Jerusalem Council in Jerusalem and a letter that had been written, a letter of instruction and encouragement to the churches. Paul and Barnabas had separated due to a a disagreement regarding John Mark. If you'll remember, John Mark had joined them on their first missionary journey, but had left them early on in Pamphylia and returned home. We don't know exactly why John Mark had left, but one can surmise that it, it had to do with persecution that they had encountered. In chapter 13, we read that with each city Paul and Barnabas entered, they experienced increasing levels of persecution. So, when Paul and Barnabas decided to return back to the cities where they had first preached the gospel and established churches, Barnabas wanted to again bring John Mark along. However, Paul was not going to allow that to happen again. So, a decision was made. Paul chose Silas as his new traveling partner, and Barnabas took John Mark under his wing, and they headed out to the island of Cyprus. Warren Wearsby makes the following observation, which I think is very well said. Who is right? It really doesn't make much difference. Perhaps both men were right on some things and wrong on other things. We know that John Mark ultimately did succeed to the ministry and that Paul came to love and appreciate him. Good and godly people in the church do disagree. This is one of the painful facts of life that we must accept. Paul looked at people and asked, What can they do for God's work? While Barnabas looked at people and asked, What can God's work do for them? Both questions are important to the Lord's work. And sometimes it is difficult to keep things balanced. So Barnabas and John Mark headed west, and a new mission field is established. Meanwhile, Paul and Silas head northeast back into Galatia, traveling through Syria and Cilicia to visit and encourage the churches that had been previously established. While on their journey, they stopped in Derby and added a young man by the name of Timothy to their traveling party. He was from mixed parentage. His father was Greek, which means he was a Gentile, and his mother was a Jew. It was because of this that Paul had Timothy circumcised before they continued, as he knew that Timothy's situation had the potential to be a cause for concern among the Jewish believers. And Paul did not want anything to hinder the work of the gospel. Once again, we turn to Warren Wearsby's commentary for a deeper insight into this. He writes, The decision at the Jerusalem conference was that it was not necessary to be circumcised in order to be saved. 
Paul did not allow Titus to be circumcised, lest the enemy think he was prompting or promoting their cause. The battle in Jerusalem was over the truth of the gospel, not over the fitness of a man to serve. Paul's concern with Timothy was not his salvation, but his fitness for service. Timothy would be working with both Jews and Gentiles in the churches, and it was essential that he not offend them. That was why Paul had Timothy circumcised. Again, it was not a matter of Timothy's salvation or personal character, but rather of avoiding serious problems that would surely become stumbling blocks as the men sought to serve the Lord. Timothy became a key spiritual leader, and he played an important part in the expansion and strengthening of the churches. He traveled with Paul and was often his special ambassador to the troubled spots in the world, such as Corinth. He became pastor of the church in Ephesus and probably joined Paul in Rome shortly before the apostle was martyred. Paul would write this about him in his letter to the Philippians in chapter 2, beginning with verse 19. Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I would also like to take the time to share a little bit about Paul's other traveling companion, Silas. As we read in Acts 15.32, Silas was a key leader in the church and was known to have been a prophet. He was one of the ones selected to carry the letter from the Jerusalem Council in order to share it with the churches. His name is also listed as a co-author of the books of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, along with Timothy, and he was also the secretary for Paul or for Peter's first epistle. Acts 16:37 tells us that he was a Roman citizen, just like Paul. And all these things and more made him an excellent companion for Paul for this next missionary journey. Well, let's turn now to Acts chapter 16. And I will begin reading with verse 6. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So... Passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. 
Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Well, after visiting the churches that had been established on Paul's first missionary journey, Paul wanted to go further east into Asia, but the Bible tells us that they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go there with the gospel. And we need to understand that Asia referred not to the continent, but rather to the Roman province of that day by that name. Ephesus was one of the leading cities in that region. Yet God did not allow them to go there at that time. One commentator makes this excellent observation. He writes, The spread of the gospel was and always will be God's advancing program, not Paul's nor the apostles. The Holy Spirit made the agenda and the travel itinerary, and Paul and Silas listened. We are told simply that the Holy Spirit told them not to go to the province of Asia at that time. Eventually, these regions would be reached, but only in God's timing. Well, next, Paul and Silas wanted to take the gospel to Bithynia, but once again, the Holy Spirit hindered them from going there. And whenever I read this passage in Acts 16, I love to remember the opening remarks in 1 Peter chapter 1. Listen to who he addressed his letter to. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. It is thrilling to me to see the faithfulness of God and the wisdom of God in the process of building his church. In Peter's epistle, we learn that the gospel did go out to them, but through other means. God indeed knows what is best, when it is best, and who is the best person for that task. When we come to Acts chapter 18, in a few sessions from now, we will learn that God will bring Paul and Silas to that region, and Paul will have a significant ministry to the city of Ephesus and so many others. But this was not the right time for that. Instead, Paul received a vision of a man of Macedonia, begging him to come. Paul knew this was from the Lord, and so he, Silas, and Timothy, and Luke headed west for the region of Macedonia. You may wonder how I know that Luke had joined this traveling party at this time. It's because of the use of the words we and us in verse 10. You will remember that Luke is the one who penned the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Let me read to you the introduction to these two books. Luke 1, verses 1 through 4. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, 
just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. And now Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And so we have Luke here, not just an investigator and a historian, but also actively participating in the events that are written. And we will discover as we work our way through the book of Acts that there are actually three sections where Luke joined the traveling party. Chapter 16, verses 10 through 17. Chapter 20, verses 5 through 15. And chapter 27, verse 1 through chapter 28, verse 16. Luke was a faithful servant of God and a powerful preacher of the gospel. In his profession as a doctor, we might assume that perhaps he joined the ministry team in order to help Paul. Perhaps there were some injuries from, from when he was almost stoned to death in Iconium from which he never fully recovered, or even from the continuing scourgings, beatings, and other forms of persecution that Paul experienced. We don't know. But what we do know is that at the end of his life, when Paul was imprisoned in Rome, Luke was there helping him just prior to Paul's execution. Paul mentions this in some of his last recorded words in 2 Timothy chapter 4, where he writes, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved disappearing. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. So we see the important roles that each of these men mentioned have played in the continuing work of the gospel of Jesus Christ and also as companions to Paul and uh, defenders of the faith. Well, let's now turn to Acts chapter 16, uh, verses 11 through 15. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days, and on the Sabbath day we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made, 
and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. This first mention of ministry in Macedonia was in the city of Philippi. This was a journey of about 150 miles or or two-day journey, and Philippi was a key city in that area. It was a Roman colony, which sets it apart in its significance. Dr. H.A. Ironside helps us to understand that significance. He writes, A Roman colony was a city which had been granted special privileges by the Roman government because of some service rendered to the empire. All freemen in such a colony were regarded as having all the rights of Rome in a distant country. That is a beautiful picture, and the apostle dwelt on it in his letter to the Philippians when he wrote, Our citizenship is in heaven, from where also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. They would understand that very well. For though they lived in Macedonia, their citizenship was in Rome. And though we live in this poor world, our citizenship is in heaven. We belong to heaven and have all the privileges of heavenly citizens. As I've explained in earlier lessons, it was always Paul's practice to bring the gospel first to the Jews gathered in a local synagogue and then also to Gentiles. In order for a synagogue to be established, there had to be at least 10 Jewish men present. The fact that there was no synagogue established in Philippi means that the Jewish population was practically non-existent. There were only a few women who had gathered at the river to pray. This was also the practice of the Jews, that when there was no synagogue available to them to gather at a river. So Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke went to the river and joined these women. And they began to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And as they shared, the hearts of these women were receptive to the message, and they became believers in Jesus as the Son of God, the Savior of the world. One of the women was Lydia. She was a Gentile. She was a wealthy woman. And she was a dealer in purple cloth, which was a valuable and expensive material, often worn as a sign of nobility or royalty. One commentator explains that Greek women of Lydia's day held elevated status and were able to conduct business and hold honorary public titles. Lydia, although a Gentile, had become a worshiper of the true and living God. She was earnestly seeking God, and God had responded to her heart's desire by sending to her the Apostle Paul to tell her about Jesus and to teach her more about God. She, along with her companions, heard the message and received it with sincere hearts. In response to the work of God in her life, she and her entire household were baptized. 
Then she begged Paul and his companions to stay at her house and use it as a base for ministry for as long as they were in that region. Hmm. God's ways are indeed wonderful. Lydia had originally come from Thyatira, which is a key city of commerce. There are some scholars who feel that she had had a thriving business there, but then decided to move to Philippi to expand her business. In the meantime, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia asking him to come and help them. The end result of these two journeys was the salvation of Lydia, her companions, and her household. From this small beginning, a key church was established. This is the church that Paul would later write a letter to while in chains in Rome. It is known as the Book of Philippians, and it is a beautiful book of encouragement and rejoicing. There are some who speculate that Luke was actually from the city of Philippi and that the man Paul saw in his vision was actually Luke before Luke became known to him. We do know that Luke became the pastor of the church in Philippi because in Acts chapter 17 verse 1 we read that Luke was no longer part of the group that traveled on to Thessalonica and we won't see him again until Acts chapter 20 verse 5. I like what Warren Wearsby adds to this. He writes, We must not conclude that because God opened Lydia's heart, Lydia's part in her conviction was entirely passive. She listened actively, attentively to the word, and it, it was the word that brings the sinner to the Savior. The same God who ordained the end, Lydia's salvation, also ordained the means to the end, Paul's witness of Jesus Christ. This is a beautiful illustration of 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 13 through 14, which reads, But we ought also to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, finally, let me add this thought regarding the way God guides our steps. There may be times when you have a desire to serve God in a certain ministry, but it may not be what God is calling you to do. Or it may not be the right time for this specific ministry. Proverbs 16.9 says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. In Paul's second missionary journey, we see this principle confirmed. It is vitally important that we do things God's way and in his time. Let me quote the following. As Paul and Silas learned by experience, the Holy Spirit guides Christians to the right places, and he also guides them away from the wrong places. As we seek God's will, it is important to know that God wants us to do and where he wants us to go, but it is equally important to know what God does not want us to do and where he does not want us to go. Someone has said that 90% of God's will for our lives is already revealed in the Bible. 
Are you aware of and faithfully following the instructions and prohibitions found in the pages of Scripture? One of the guiding passages in my life is Romans 12, 1 through 2, which says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We renew our mind by reading the Word of God and spending time in prayer. And in this way, we come to know the mind of Christ, just as it is written in 1 Corinthians 2, beginning with verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Therefore, I urge you, my dear friend, to spend time reading your Bible and prayer daily. And when you pray, be sure to listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Seek confirmation from godly men and women who are known to be strong in their knowledge of Scripture and faithful in prayer. And of course, be sure to trust and obey. Heavenly Father, once again, we are moved by the the life of your servants, Paul and, and Silas, Timothy, Luke, even Barnabas and John Mark, Lord. They faithfully served you all the days of their lives. They've They listened to your counsel, and they trusted you, and they obeyed. And because they obeyed, O Lord, your church grew, and the gospel went out, and countless lives have been saved, not just in their generation, but from generation to generation, as others followed their example and listened to your leading and guidance in their lives. Lord, we want to be just as faithful. So we pray that you will speak to us through your word by the power of the Holy Spirit. That you would give us a willingness to listen to you, to trust you, and to obey. To listen when you say yes, and to listen when you say no. And to do all that you have called us to do. To be faithful in service and fervent in prayer growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This we ask in his holy name. Amen. Well, if you find these messages helpful and encouraging, or if you have a question that you would like to ask, 
please feel free to email me at BibleTimeWithJane at gmail.com. That's BibleTimeWithJane at gmail.com. So until next time, my dear friend, I would encourage you, read your Bible every day. Pray every day. Worship our Lord every day. And you will be blessed and you will be filled with joy and the, his peace that passes all understanding. May God bless you, my friend.